Hello. Good morning. This is Mike Mazzola, the host of the Hard Sun Podcast. It is May 8th, 2021. It's about 9.30 in the morning here at my kitchen table in Colorado Springs. It's a beautiful day, springtime in the Rockies. I am going to get right to it today. I have an incredible interview to share with you. Earlier this week, I uh, was able to do a Zoom call with my good friend, Bill Morris from Blue Star Recyclers. He lives in Colorado Springs, but he's actually opening a new facility in Chicago. And he's there for a few weeks and I was able to interview him. We had an incredible discussion. Um, Bill is one of the most spiritual guys that you will ever meet. If anyone lives in the space between, it's Bill. And we talked for an hour and 45 minutes. So this will be the longest podcast I will probably ever do. We joke uh, during the interview that I've actually had three-hour lunches with Bill. He's fun, engaging, insightful. And, and as we do, he, he, he said he's actually had five-hour lunches with people. So here's a high-achieving high CEO, a nonprofit executive, and you'll meet for lunch at, say, noon, and all of a sudden it's 3 o'clock. You've, you've spent half a day, half a work day uh, over lunch, and you feel like it's the best three hours you could spend for that day. Bill tells some incredible stories here. You know, it's hard for us to, to have an attention span this long for two hours. Maybe you could break it up into segments or something. But he has um, some incredible stories about his life, how he started Blue Star Recyclers, some spiritual stories, some otherworldly God universe type events that have happened to him. Just to prompt you a little bit, pay very close attention to how he describes how Blue Star Recyclers came to be. As he was going through life changes and submitted and surrendered to God in the universe, within days, his life changed dramatically. It's one of the most powerful stories I think anyone can hear and, and a great lesson for all of us as we move on this earth. Another story to, to pay attention to is when he talks about um, his car driving by itself with his wife by his side. And we had talked prior to this interview and he said he may or may not tell that story because it's so personal, but please pay attention to it. It's, it was emotional for him to say it. I could see him on the Zoom call and he put his head down and he got emotional. That may not translate in what you hear, but I saw it happen. And, um, and I know that he's telling the truth and I know that it happened and I know his wife and I know that he would not have not put himself out on a limb to say that to the public like this, if it wasn't true. Bill had some great lines in here. Um, as you, as you go, as you go through and listen, he says things like, I'm not God, but God is me. Your body is not you, speaking about your soul. These are incredible statements. These are, these are the types of statements you hear from spiritual gurus, from religious leaders. It's so beautiful. Bill's a lay person walking this earth, but he's also an enlightened soul. 
During the interview, I read the lyrics to Closer to the Heart from the rock band Rush. And um, this song reminds me of Bill. It reminds me of people that move in the world like this. I actually met Bill about 10 years ago now, I think. I owned a retail store called Mountain Equipment Recyclers in Colorado Springs. You can check it out at merecyclers.com. We were kind of a social impact retail store. We sold new and used outdoor gear and built the business model around giving to charity. To date, it has given about a half million dollars to charity since it started 10 years ago. And Bill had started Blue Star Recyclers and we were introduced and um, became quickly became good friends. And the first time I walked into Blue Star, I vibrated with goosebumps. It was so powerful to see his employees work, people with developmental disabilities, just how committed they were to the job. It blows, it blew my mind and it, and it inspired me to, um, in my own life, it, it gave me the realization that this is, the, this is the type of work I will do for the rest of my life. So Bill, um, he, I told him about the podcast about a month or so ago, and he, uh, you know, I think a few weeks passed, and he finally listened to an episode, and then out of the blue, he sent me this email, and I'll read it to you, what he said. Mike, last night I finally had the chance to begin listening in on your podcast, and I, I wanted to send you back a ping from a fellow pilgrim trying to find his way along a spiritual path. A number of your experiences are similar to my own, and I suspect to millions of others. Unfortunately, we live in a culture where these experiences are assigned almost no value. So most people I've met who have had these same experiences tend to keep them to themselves for fear of being misunderstood or even ridiculed. So the first thing I will share is that you are not alone. It seems whoever or whatever created us has been trying to connect with us, with all of us since the day we were born but we won't listen because we are too distracted. For some reason, some of us seem to get the cosmic two by four across the back of the head and it wakes us up and all of a sudden the path is lit before us. The only analogy I can give is that scene from Field of Dreams where the brother of brother-in-law looks around and says, where do these baseball players come from? You've had the same experience. And if you're like me, you're now looking for others who can see what you see. You'll likely begin to hear from a few once they hear your podcast. In my experience, most people are still asleep, just like we were until we were awakened. We are not special or better than anyone else in any way. I think the universe, our creator, woke us up for some reason. And we have to find out why. Why, if we are... We have to find out why if we are to have any peace. I only have one thing to share that has been of value to me. The answer is not intellectual or emotional. So it won't come from your head or your guts. It will come from the place at the center of you, right in your chest. And like a tuning fork, it will begin to vibrate and sing the closer you move towards your purpose. The vibration will cause you to laugh and feel pure joy. If it quits vibrating, you're heading the wrong direction. Looking forward to our next chat, Bill. Bill sent me this email. I, I received it on my work email one morning as I opened the laptop. 
and it just <clears throat> sat me straight up um, vibrations, goosebumps, and 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 reinforced my commitment to this show and what I want to do. And so, uh, thank you for listening. Here's the interview. If you've got two hours, do it. Um, and if not, listen 20 minutes of time, but please listen through. This is some of the most special uh, communication that any of us can hear on this earth. Computer. Bill Morris, welcome to the Hard Sun Podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Awesome. So you are the second ever interview I've had for the show. Um, you and I have talked a couple of times now, and we had um, good discussion about a week ago about spirituality. And um, I find that you're one of the most enlightened people I know. <laughs> well, that means you're just getting started. <laughs> I know you and you know I have like three friends, so you know you're the most enlightened yeah. person I know because I've got three friends. I do well in a small fishbowl. <laughs> well, I, when I um, when I record the full show here, I'll do an intro and I, I'm going to read to the guests. Um, what your email was to me when you first listened to the podcast. You sent a really beautiful email to me uh, about your own journey. And then you and I talked about a week ago, kind of a pre-interview uh, you know, discussion. And I wish I was recording then because there was some really <laughs> profound discussion there. Now we're just gonna screw it all up now that we're actually trying. Yeah, we're over-prepared. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, just 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 quick. How do we, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself? I'd like to talk about how we know each other. Um, we just right before I hit record, we just said that um, you know these shows are supposed to be thirty-minute segments, so people don't, you know, so they'll actually listen. And I've actually had three-hour lunches with you, so we may talk for thirty minutes, we might talk for four hours, and that's okay. Yeah. But, yeah. but if you. Um, how, you know, let's talk about how we know each other. I can make a little introduction. Uh, Bill is the um, founder and I'm not sure of your current title, but um, founder and operator of, of Blue Star Recyclers. And it's a nonprofit um, headquartered originally in Colorado Springs, but they've expanded a lot the last few years. And they uh, recycle electronics and they put, uh, they give jobs to developmentally disabled people um, this was your idea. It's been an incredible journey for you and an incredible organization that you've created. And I think it's, it, it, it's um, this show is about spirituality and our higher purpose. And I think what you do for a living, you blend your higher purpose with the work you do every day. And so maybe we can just talk a little bit just about Blue Star Recyclers, how you and I know each other. And yeah, um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible story. Well, yeah, it's it's kind of the blind squirrel that found the nut story, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I I don't even I still to this day, thirteen years later, I'm not sure how to explain it to people, but I because I don't think there's an intellectual way of doing that, but but uh, you know, really, it's the result of of uh, coming to the end 
of an old life that where I did my best with what I had to work with and it and it uh, <laughs> and I ended up being 52 years old unemployed and uh, and pretty unhappy I mean I, I I really thought I was doing what I was supposed to be doing which was to go out and get and and uh, I left home at 18 with that in mind that I my job was to go you know, outthink, outmaneuver, and out and outperform my fellow man to get what it was that I wanted before he got what it was that he wanted. So, and I, you know, I played, you know, which worked for corporate America and and um, had some success, uh, probably more failures, but but it never fit. And the harder I tried, the less the less uh, satisfactory it was, and. Um, so I, you know, I end up at, at, at 52 years old, uh, having hit bottom really with that whole idea of how we're supposed to make a living. It doesn't mean that the companies I worked for, there was nothing wrong with them. They were all fine. It's just that, that I, I was uh, trying to do something I wasn't supposed to do. So I had to, I had to fail at all that. In fact, I've had to fail at everything. So we'll go into that a little bit later. But but in terms of, you know, what was behind Blue Star, it really was failure. And, and that has been the touchstone of every good thing that's happened in my life has been fa failing at something. Um, and uh, so when I failed at that, I that was when I became teachable and I and I became willing to to uh i became willing to turn the whole damn thing over to a power greater than myself and i had no no real knowledge uh, and i still don't of what that power is i i suspect maybe what it is but so i i just sort of got pissed off and i said you know what i i quit <laughs> i quit i no longer am going to manage my life um or my career or anything else. Uh, all I'm going to do is sh just show up and do the best I can every day. And and um, and and I I wasn't sure well who I was praying to or what I was praying to, but I said, if you're so smart, you figure it out and put me where I'm needed. And that really was the essence of it was to to ask to be put where I was needed. And then whambo, I mean, it was really literally within days that this whole wheel began to turn uh, and a set of circumstances took place that put me in front of some young men with autism. Now that's the furthest thing the furthest thing I, I could have ever guessed that I was going to do. I, I had no intellectual desire to to be a recycler or to employ people with disabilities. I hadn't sat home and thought that through prior to March of 2012. But when I met these fellas, I wasn't looking for them and they weren't looking for me, but we found each other. And I think that's maybe what spiritual living is all about. We are, we just find ourselves in a place where we find each other. And I was possessed with an idea to help these four young men find a, a job. They'd never experienced the thrill of getting up in the morning and, and suiting up and showing up and being part of a team and, 
and and um, being useful. Uh, they never experienced that they had been sort of wards of the state and wards of the disability system their whole lives. And, uh, and so Blue Star was started on a hunch that they were they were talented. They had some innate talents that I could observe. And it was very basic. I, I could see that they liked tasks that were systematic and procedural and taking stuff apart was, was, was really part of that. They, I saw them take apart some old computers and junk that, and I thought they were really good at it. So I pursued an idea to get these guys working and I found a recycler in Denver to pay us five cents per pound to, to um, pay their wages with. <laughs> and, we just, and we just did it. We, that recycler gave me a little warehouse space and an old warehouse down in Delta Drive, and we were off and running. And, and in the coming year, we, we found out that everything about them changed. They, they physically, emotionally, mentally, they, they lit up like Christmas trees, Mike. They... they I've never seen human beings uh, transform like that and uh, to have a purpose to get up in the morning to grab their tools and their and their eye, you know, their protective or their PPE, check in the clock and go to work and start taking apart computers. And they were and they became men. They they were in their mid-20s, but they had been treated like boys and patients because that's what they had where they were. When I found them, and and now they were men. They were men with a purpose. They they stood up straighter. They they had this change in the way that they they talked and walked, and um, and we knew we were onto something. And a year later, they got better and better at it. And we added a couple more guys, and and that's where I had. If there ever was a doubt, if there is a God of some kind out there in the universe, in uh, October of 2009, I'm driving up North Nevada and I don't have any money left. We are broke. We don't have any way to, to move this into becoming a, an enterprise. And I look over and there is a truck sitting there that says Blue Star Electronics and on, in, sitting in front of Qualtech Manufacturing. And, I went in and just knocked on their door and said, what's up with that truck? Because I just saw it said Blue Star Electronics on the side. And anything that said electronics, I was interested in it. And Tony Finant, who is the CEO, uh, was there. And I talked to him. And I told him about what I've just shared with you, about what we, what we had learned about these guys. And all Tony said was, can you come back here tomorrow and tell this story to my wife, Mary? And we went to coffee and I did that. And by the time we finished having coffee, they gave me the work. They had a warehouse full of old electronics <laughs> that was, they had a tenant in their building that, that was a reseller of old electronics. That guy left town owing them nine months rent and they left the, the whole warehouse full of electronics. They left a truck and a forklift in left town. And Tony said, I'm gonna give you the truck, the forklift, the building, and here, and they made a very large cash donation right on the spot. I had known them less than 24 hours. And I, I've never seen anyone do that before. I thought I was on candid camera or something. Right. 
Nobody does that. You just don't give money to strangers like that. And Tony didn't have any history of doing that, by the way. Right. Um, very conservative guy in, in along those lines, at least. But they believe, he and Mary believe that, that anyone who wanted to go to work should have an opportunity to go to work. And they understood exactly what we were trying to do. So we were off and running. That was um, uh, November of 2009. And we were so cheap, we just took the word electronics off the side of the truck and put recyclers on there. <laughs> we, were, yeah. we were off and running. So that's the story. And the reason I share it is that I, I want to make sure that people understand this, that I this is not a result of of writing a business plan and doing all the shit that people think you're supposed to do before you do something. This is a, a willingness to take action, to take one small action in support of an outcome you wish to, you desire to happen. I went to talk to a stranger because I wanted to see if there's any way we could keep the ball rolling. And that's what happened. So I think the willingness to take action before you know the answer is most valuable thing in the universe, because all the knowledge in hell could not have could not have created Blue Star. It was yeah. not supposed to come together that way. So, so I am sitting here talking to you because you and I met four years later because somebody called you and me a social enterprise <laughs> or entrepreneur social entrepreneurs. And they put us on a panel and we had to talk about what we were doing. And you were, you were doing something I thought was phenomenal. There are mountain equipment recyclers and very similar. And so it, it, and then, you know, fast forward, we've got 57 employees now in five locations. And, and this thing is, has uh, been replicated abroad and, and, uh, it's still growing. And I think it's, it's, I think, I'm not sure about this, but I think this is what, uh, whatever that power is out there had in mind for me, there was something I could do to, to make it happen, to help make it happen. No, I think, and you, you, you're giving me goosebumps as you're saying it and, and describing what, what happened. It's the essence of this show and it's the essence of what we want to talk about. You, you let go and you surrendered and that's when the beautiful things happened to you. Um, yeah. You know, you fought your whole life. Like I gotta be in the corporate world. I gotta do this and this and this. And you got to a point at 50 years old, you're like, I can't do it anymore. I have to surrender. And the yeah. instant you surrendered is when all these beautiful things just unfolded. You literally just left it up to God in the universe and it just yeah. unfolded. And, and if anybody that's listened to this show, um, you know, I, I'm, this is all brand new. I think I've had seven episodes, but that's what I've described in my own spiritual awakening is I had, I was trying, I was trying too hard my whole life. Try, try, try. And my intentions were always good, but I was got to the point of, you know, some traumatic things in the past that had happened that had caught up with me and I just unraveled. And mm -hmm. finally, when I unraveled enough, that's when the spiritual awakening happened. I just, mm -hmm. I just, I didn't give up. I just, I just, I just, I just exhaled and said, I can't keep living like this. And so you just described that. And I think, yeah. you know, other people that you talk to or research, I think this is a very common theme with these sorts of things is you're, you know, 
I, and, and, and as I'm continuing to grow in my own spiritual path, I find it very, there's a very clear line. If I'm grasping for it, I can't have it. Right. If I let go, it's when it comes to me. It's very, yeah. very distinct that way. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, you've heard me bark about this before, but I think it's the power of the finite mind is limited, right? We're finite beings. We have limited intellectual and uh, physical power. And, uh, and I think you and I moved uh, as much as we could with that power as we, as we could, but we had to tap into a, a, a power greater than ourselves to, to be able to uh, achieve some of the things that, that have happened. There, there's just no way that I could have done this uh, by myself. There's just no way. I, uh, I would love, love to take credit for it, but it's not my idea. It's just, and to your earlier point, the only way I could get to it was to surrender and resign, yeah. <laughs> say, I give up. And uh, isn't that funny that as soon as we get out of the way, good stuff starts to happen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. On the description of the website for the podcast, it says, I, I can pull it up right now, but it basically said the spiritual, you know, Mike was always a seeker, always thinking right. and doing and trying. And the instant that the seeking stopped is when the beauty happened. Yeah, and so, that's right. And so you, you know, and, and you mentioned and when we talked a week ago, we were kind of preparing for this. Um, you know, you said a statement that I wrote down quickly when you said it, but you said, you know, the veil is paper thin between the two worlds. And, and then I was thinking more about that. And I, I've referred to that as like the space between, you know, like I just call it the space between it's people, yeah. it's people operating in the world with one one hand in the spiritual world and one hand in the physical world and you're you're one of the few people that I that I've met that that actually lives that every day mm -hmm. um, and so before we go further this song um, from the, the rock band rush closer to the heart mm -hmm. I want to I want to say the lyrics uh, because it reminds me of you and people that move in the space between and the men who hold high places, must be the ones who start to mold a new reality closer to the heart. The blacksmith and the artist reflected in their art. They forged their creativity closer to the heart. Philosophers and plowmen each must know his part to sow a new mentality closer to the heart. That, that song I've always kind of lived by personally and it, mm -hmm. it reminds me of you um the way the way you the way you move in the world you're you you're doing blue star recyclers in a very spiritual manner and um and you're you're raising the frequency to say you know we all have we all have meaning as we're walking this earth and you're actually you're walking that meaning you're doing your part well, I think that's really all what, I mean, that's all we can do at, at best, I think, is, is to um, try to find, if, if, if it's possible, uh, to be of use. And, and um, I, I had to be placed on that path. I couldn't find it in myself. It's funny, you, by the way, that you bring up Rush because 
I played the drums for a lot of years in bands when I was a younger guy. And, and Neil Pert, the, the drummer for Rush, I actually thought he was God for most of my life. Right. <laughs> in fact, they used to call him God with drumsticks. <laughs> well, he wrote he wrote all the lyrics to their songs. Yeah. He was, yeah. A, he was the drummer and he actually was the he wrote all the lyrics. Yeah, I, I I forgot about that. You're absolutely right. Yeah, he had a interesting life, but but anyway, it, it's um, I think that's it. And and all we're really really seeking to do is just to be able to, at least for me, um, is it's that wavelength we talked about to get on to get on the beam. There's there's a there is a beam that I'm supposed to be on. And I know this because when I'm on it, I accomplish things that are absolutely impossible. They're not possible for Bill Morris to accomplish. I just, I have done things that I, I look at later on and go, how the hell did that happen? Right. But, if I'm, but if I'm off that beam, I can't, I can't move anything anywhere or do anything. I'm just you know, powerless. So, so there again, it's the, it's the, uh, the infinite power tapping into the infinite power for me. I don't know about anyone else, but just for me. And when I do that, uh, I have a lot of fun and, 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 and mostly get things done that are of some value to others. If I'm not on it, I don't get anything done. Yeah. At all. No. Well, you, you said it, you know, when you started to talk, you said, you let go and surrender, and within days, Blue Star Recyclers appeared to you. Yeah. Within days. So you spent 52 years on the planet battling and battling. You let go and surrendered, and within days, it appeared. And then, um, and then you ran into Tony, and Blue Star, you know, Recyclers was was born like with yeah. that quickly. And Tony, Tony surrendered himself to you and gave you money. And here we are, you know, a decade later, and you've expanded to multiple cities been replicated abroad it's it's incredible yeah <laughs> yeah really it's just uh uh it's all backwards right it's everything most everything we were taught is just backwards from the way it really is and you know we were taught to sort of grab a hold of things and squeeze as hard as we can and push and pull and prod and it's just uh, that's absolutely a lie in, in my experience in my experience i can't speak for anyone else but that for me, all that was bunk. Didn't work. Yeah. Well, we've got a we've got a series of questions that kind of are the format for the show. And the first one is, tell us about yourself and what you do for a living, which which you just did. Right. Um, and the second question is, um, okay, you you know you told us who you are, you know your job, your everyday life, um, and, and but who are you, you know? And you kind of prompted me about this last week when we talked. But who are you really? spiritually speaking well as i shared with you last week i i don't distinguish the two now i did um i think for quite a while um in my life uh, i believe that there was you know uh, a, a different bill for a different venue and and i i'm very very fortunate to be able to say that that today um at least on most days, you're going to get the same bill no matter what time of the day it is or no matter where I am or who I'm with because there's, um, 
but I used to think that I had to be different for different people. And uh, that's a lot of work, you know, to try to remember what the hell you talked about with somebody. <laughs> but, so I just find it's, uh, and, and I've also discovered, Mike, there's nothing that's not spiritual. It, everything, if there is a God, God is everything and everyone. There is no otherness. There is no, we're not separate from God. We're, we're all part of God is you and God is me. I'm not God, but God is me. And that, if that's true, that means this notion that there's people that are not part of that or, or places that are not part of that or things that are not part of that, uh, that's another one of those lies. It's just all, it's either all or nothing. And I like that way of looking at life. Um, God is everything or God is nothing. There's absolutely... Everything in between is, is baloney. Uh, it has to be one or the other. Um, and so I, I just happen to believe that God is everything and, and, um, and everyone. And, and uh, no matter where I am, God is. I hope that makes sense, but, um, and no matter, and wherever he is, I am. So, <laughs> and that, and that, it's pretty neat to walk around and not be alone anymore. I spent most of my life alone and I haven't been alone since I made that discovery. Wow. Yeah. I'm learning, you know, in the last couple of years with my own, with my own awakening, you know, I noticed it just today. I had a, um, I had a, a meeting with someone and we're in the social, I work for a nonprofit energy resource center. We're in the social services sector and uh, meeting with someone else that runs a, a local ministry and mm -hmm. um, they're helping, you know, low income families with food assistance and, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. And I found myself uh, talking to her and, and learning how to see people as, as a spiritual being and a, and a bright light in the universe. You know, this mm -hmm. person sitting across from me is doing good work. And I, and I really, in the state of the world, the pandemic, all the stress that we're dealing with, learning to just move in the world, um, knowing that we're all these bright lights and we are all sharing the same energy and we are all God. And that's not an arrogant statement, but we're all, we're all, um, we are all one. I mm. saw, I saw a reference um, to, I like to think of us as like the pale blue dot. We're one star in the universe, right? And, and, and someone made reference to, it's like a disco ball with 7 billion bright lights on it. Seven billion people, seven billion brothers with one core source light. Yeah. I thought that was really kind of yeah. a special thought. That's a good way to look at it. There's a there's a grand error that's been made by uh, mankind, I think. This is my experience only, is just that that we develop the idea of apartness from God and separation from God. I think it was useful for some people that, that wanted some power and control to to separate them in other words to say you can acquire you can acquire this when you do this this and this to make it so so you have to be earned be worthy or merit the love of god you have to do these things and it's just baloney uh but but that is a, a value to someone that wants to that holds the strings at the other end so so we were given this idea of apartness, and because of that, and 
it's, I think, caused all the problems in the world. And here's the reason why. If I feel separate from you, then I can do all sorts of unspeakable stuff to you. I can pick your pocket. I can blow your brains out. I can, I can swindle you. I can run away with your wife. I could do anything because we're separate. We're not connected. But if I believe that you and I are absolutely joined and, and there is no separation, I can't do any of those things to you. Why? Because if I do them to you, it affects me. If I pick your pocket, I pick my pocket. If I harm you in any way, I harm myself. And uh, so this idea of separation, in my experience, has ruined mankind. It's, it's, and it's, it's allowed us to be, it's allowed us to do that on every scale, like the color of skin, the nationality, the religion, the, and, and they're all illusions. They're just illusions that we're no different, but there's a great saying that I love. It says, we're all God's kids. And if one of us is, all of us are, if one of us, if just one of us isn't, none of us are. Yeah. And I love that. It's all or nothing. We're all God's kids or none of us are God's kids. And, and, but we were raised with the idea that the good folks are over here. The bad folks are over here. You know, the wheat and the chaff have been separated and it's bullshit. It's yeah. just bullshit. <laughs> no, and given and given the state of the world and technology and the internet and social media and what's going on, it's it's there couldn't be any, you know, bigger lesson than that oh, is, a, is a reminder, a reminder yeah. that we're all connected. Anyway, how many times do we need? I mean, how many ways have, have they spent trying to figure trying to make sure everybody thinks we're different? And, and but anyway. And I think that's, you and I talked about this last week, that is a part of being asleep spiritually. That's what we buy when we're asleep spiritually. When you wake up, you can't buy it. Yeah. There's no way. You just can't. Yep. Um, I had a thought, and it's just going to, I'm afraid it'll take us, yeah. I kind of want to say it, but it's going to take us in the direction of talking about too many earthly things, you know, talk about politics of today or whatever. Really, the show is about, you know, um, uh, the higher power, the great white light, God, the universe, whatever, whatever it, he, she is. And so let's, let's kind of, let's kind of move on. Um, you know, the, the, the third main question of the show, and it's really kind of the meat of the show. And if anybody's listened to the episodes I've done, I was, I expressed my own situation of uh, many experiences, well, you know, five or six different experiences over the course of a couple of years where the universe and God spoke to me, um, kind of interrupted daily life and had things like my radio turning on spontaneously when I was in a dark place and it woke me up, um, kind of uh, some incredible kind of visions and dreams that happened of uh, people speaking to me from the other side, people, family members that had passed. Uh, I had a lot of trauma when I was younger, some traumatic experiences and people from those experiences kind of speaking to me 20 years after the fact. And, and that, you know, I, I want, as we progress in the show and interviewing people to hear those stories from others. And you have some stories like that. So if you'd be willing to share any of those, some of those messages throughout your life uh, you and I have talked off off video, you know, about that. But some of those messages you receive from the other side, and and maybe describe some of them. Yeah, I mean, 
I, I, what's funny is I spent most of my life with an idea that um, they weren't something we were supposed to talk about. It, so those things that happened, I kept to myself. And I laugh about that now. You think about, you know, as a teenager, for example, what we talk about with our friends. And, uh, you know, we talk about girls or we talk whatever, I, <laughs> drinking or whatever we talk about. But, you know, if you're a 14-year-old boy and you're sitting around with some guys and, and you talk about a spiritual experience, you're going to get laughed out of the group. I mean, right. that's in most cases, at least that was the case when I was a kid. So none of us, none of us were encouraged to share about this. And even worse, you couldn't go talk to your priest, your minister about it. Because you know why? Because your priest, if it didn't, if it was not within the context of biblical experience or or theology that you're enrolled in, they would they would discount it and say, oh, that was just, you know. Uh, something, whatever it was, it didn't have any validity because it, it wasn't out of the Bible or it wasn't out of the Quran or something. So, so I want to say that, that I've had experiences my entire life and I had, I didn't start talking about them until I was well into my forties. Um, and even then uh, I was terrified to talk about it. I thought somebody's going to come and lock me up. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> But I will say uh, to answer your and, question and, and, and to interrupt you real quick, that's that's what I want to do here. It's like it's like a little pulling the lid back on that. And, and you're very courageous in sharing, because for me, I just got to the point where I wanted to do this show and just share it. And it leaves you vulnerable, leaves you open. But I think the world's changing in a way mm -hmm. that we've got technology and social media, even though there's a lot of bad that comes with it. It also allows us to be open and share ideas. So I appreciate your vulnerability yeah. in sharing what you can. Well, and I, I've done a little bit of research into this, and I've, I've found that there's actually some pretty good company out there. If you've been called crazy, <laughs> it's, it's not a bad thing because right. there's been people called crazy that I actually look up to. But in any case, as far as, and this is an interesting thing, what, one of the things that opened me up to sharing wasn't uh, that I wanted to, but I heard other people doing it, so people that were going through what you've gone through, and I started to think to myself, wait a minute, this sounds to me like everyone has had spiritual experiences of some sort, and no one's talking about them, but I, I was in a particular, in a situation where um, as a recovering alcoholic, and, and uh, which I will, which I will share here, um, I had the opportunity to work with hundreds of of men over the years uh, in the process of recovery, my recovery and theirs, sharing sharing my recovery with them. And in the course of the conversations that we, the work that we did, lo and behold, they have spiritual experiences. I have spiritual experiences. Some that are very similar, some that are different, but but I'm convinced now because of that 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 I think the average person's had plenty, but we just discount them. We just we just um, sort of devalue them uh, in a way, and and the world doesn't really particularly place a lot of value on them in most cases. So uh, so anyway, it, it it's. Uh, I think that's why I, I like the idea of your show, because if you can get people at least to 
even if they just think about, go back in their memory and, and think about things that have happened, I bet you they're going to come up with some. In my own case, I will get to that, is, is uh, the very first thing that happened was, and, and I don't think these things have to happen this way. The, in other words, they don't, spiritual experiences don't have to happen in a spiritual place or anything, but maybe in the beginning, it, the context might need to be that way to get our attention. But for me, um, I would go to this church camp when I was a kid at Spirit Lake. And for those of you that are familiar with Spirit Lake, it's, it, it's at the bottom of Mount St. Helens. And when Mount St. Helens blew in 1980, it, it put 600 feet of mud on top of Spirit Lake. So it's gone. But man, before it was gone, it was one of the most beautiful places on earth. And it was, it was a bottomless volcanic lake that sat right at the bottom of Mount St. Helens. You could see the mountain reflected in it when you sat on the far side. It was just really a remarkable scene. And I walked, I jumped from shore out to a rock that was about six feet from shore. At the age of 12, I could do that. And I sat on that rock and I stared at that mountain reflected in that lake. And I was overcome with the belief right down to my insides that there was a power out there. There was a God. And, and, and because I was in church camp, that was the way that I, I processed it. Uh, today, I, I, I think it was, the, the, the feeling was actually more like, you are not alone, pal. You, it was the first reconnection between whatever created me reached out to me to say, by the way, I made you. That was what I heard. Uh, it's like the manufacturer's tag, right? That goes right in the middle of you. And you don't, you don't experience that with your eyes or ears. You actually experience it right in the center of yourself. And, and I knew that. And I didn't talk about that with anybody for 30, 40 years, but it was a big deal. And, and when it happened, I, um, uh, I didn't know really what to make of it, but that was the beginning. That was the first one that I can think of. And then I had a string of things. I don't know why, but I, I seemed to be on this terror to try to kill myself because I, I did a number of things as a kid, both intentionally and unintentionally to put myself in harm's way where I almost was killed. Uh, about five times. I almost drowned a couple times and and uh, fell a couple times, was in a couple of pretty bad automobile accidents. And, and I kept emerging from those in a way that seemed odd to me, but I, I just didn't think much of it um, at all. I just, it, I was always the, you know, lucky. And, um, and a couple were, were really improbable. I, especially one of the ones when I was 18, when I I should have drowned. I was, I was at the bottom of this river, and I, I had, I had been pushed down by the eddy that had created behind a great big falls, and, and I was stupid. I was, I went over this falls in a, in an inner tube and without a life jacket, and, and I was saved by another kid that came down the river behind me, and he happened to be going right around that, that set of boulders when I when I popped back up from the bottom and he got an adrenaline rush and he grabbed me and pulled me out of the water and I was done. I didn't, I hadn't breathed for a while and, and I, my lungs were full of water, but um, anyway, um, 
And then as I got older, uh, there were a couple of instances where um, one in particular where, where uh, after I had started my drinking career, I... Um, that's pretty funny. Started my yeah. drinking career. Yeah, it was a tw it was a twenty one year drinking career. I started when I was twelve, and uh, finished when I was thirty three. <laughs> but I, uh, my wife used to to get upset as she should have because I would I would frequently wake up in the driveway. I had no memory of driving home, and this road that I drove home was 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 curvy, a two-lane thing around a lake where we lived up in Bellingham, Washington, outside of Bellingham. And one day when we were driving it, we were coming home. Uh, uh, I told her that I thought that I was, that it was impossible for me to be killed. And I don't know why I said that. And, and I, was, I think I was just trying to be cocky about it. And she said, and she, you know, she of course, said you're you know out of your mind, and so I let go of the steering wheel, and she tried to grab it, and I wouldn't let her, and we and we drove around this lake, and uh, not very far, maybe a couple of miles, and um, and that experience uh, was pretty profound for her to see, but it, and I don't, and I really I can't answer why that happened and how that happened, but I I have no idea, but. I was pretty sure by then that, that because of all these other experiences of near-death stuff, that I was supposed to be around. I don't know why. I just, I was supposed to be here. So I don't know that that's a spiritual experience. I, it's an experience that um, I'm actually not proud of because it, it's sort of like, I really, it was a very traumatic thing to put my bride through. <laughs> so, but it, it, it was something that I, I wanted to show her because I had been living with that. So anyway, so that yeah, was. No. Well, yeah. and, I, and, I, and it made, this may not, I really appreciate you sharing that because you had told me that story before and you said you might not share it on the show because it's so deeply personal mm -hmm. and it probably won't translate because you and I are on Zoom and video right now, but to the guests that, that, that might listen, I just watched you go from talking and just kind of off the cuff and you just put your head down and you could bear, you were, you were struggling to tell that story because it was so pr profound. It's so profound in your life. Mm. And I really appreciate you sharing um, because basically you let go of the wheel in the car and it drove itself for a couple of miles. And that's really difficult to tell the public. It's really difficult to talk about. Yeah. I had a similar experience where I was driving and I was in a really dark place and my radio turned on spontaneously. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to some people about that and it, and it woke me up, you know, and, and when I talk to people about that, they look at me with a blank stare like they don't believe me. And I know it's true and there's nothing that can shake me from that. And you know what happened that day and your wife would probably come on here and testify to it too. You know that that happened. Yeah. And, and that is so incredible because it actually happened and you just and you just were able to express it so i really really appreciate you having that vulnerability well one thing about one thing about being a recovering alcoholic is that you kind of uh, 
pride is a very expensive commodity and I don't have much. <laughs> so, so I don't have much pride about stuff like that. I, I don't, I'm not proud of that. And, uh, but I, I, I do think it's, and the reason I share it is, is that I, I have heard similar stories. Of, and so what I want to make sure of is not, it, 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 that if someone's had that kind of a situation happen to them, that they're not nuts. Because that's really the, what you tell yourself. Really, if you don't talk about it, you just think you're nuts because uh, it defies everything. And, I, and I'm pretty practical. I, I don't, uh, I would not have believed anyone that told me anything like that. So, uh, so my inclination is God has a sense of humor, you know, I found. So if, you're, if you have a particular prejudice against something, just wait. <laughs> He'll, he'll, he'll figure out a way for you to see it from another angle. But, uh, but anyway, that was, a um, and, and I, uh, at the bottom of my drinking career, when I really came, it was about 1980. I was really hitting it hard in like 82, 80 through about 85 bad. It, I was coming to the end. And of course, I drank another year after that just to make sure. But but um, uh, I was standing in the hallway of my house and uh, just standing in the hallway. And I looked down and there was nothing in front of me. It was just a, an abyss. And I was sober, which was, was not very common in those days. But I stood down there. And I looked at this and it was a bottomless pit. And, um, and I, and I had a tugging on my collar from the back because uh, I was, I was starting to walk and I, I saw this pit and, and, and somebody yanked my collar and I, and it was to, it, it's that cosmic two by four I described in the email to you. It was to wake me up. It was to say, and again, I, I hadn't even gotten sober yet. It was just what this particular experience was I think was to show me where I was I was I was at that jumping off point where if I go much further there there's nothing just you just fall and so I needed to see that for some reason and um, so that was a big deal I, I never talked about that with anyone uh, for a long time but um, but I've heard that from a lot of a lot of men that I've worked with over the years, they've had, uh, I've, God, one of my first guys that I worked with had an incredible story um, that, that uh, his older brother who had passed away, met him in the doorway and, and um, confronted him about his drinking. And this was a brother that had been killed in Vietnam three or four years earlier. And uh, he was as real to him as you and I are to each other right now. And, and, and that was what got him to stop, to look at himself. So these experiences, um, I don't know what the, what the source or the cause is. I just know that they happen. And, um, and I have to believe that there's um, some power that's greater than ourselves that's interested in, in helping us and, it, and sometimes, and maybe all the time, the only way we, we change is we have those experiences, right? I just wouldn't pay attention otherwise. <laughs> I was, 
I was too distracted with me doing what I was doing. And the only way that I could, that, that my attention would be, could be had was sometimes th those kinds of things. Uh, you know, and well, that you're leading up the next question, you know, for the show format is, you know, uh, what do you make of these experiences? And you just started to talk about that. It's kind of like, I don't know, but I kind of, you know, have a feeling like, like what, what do you, because as you're saying these things, I've, I've had similar experiences. So I'm, I'm vibrating. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hold my composure here mm -hmm. because I'm feeling really emotional about what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know others, this is what we want the show to be as we move forward. Like we want people to come forward and tell these stories. If you can, the best, the best you can, what, what do you make of them? Where does this come from? What, it, what is your, you know, belief system in it? Um, because I'd say, I, I feel like, I feel like the mere, you know, we have, we all have these minor experiences where we'll be thinking of someone, uh, like I'm thinking of my, you know, my friend, Joe, and then literally calls you seconds later, you know, like little stuff like that. And you're like, you, you just, you mark it off as a coincidence or like, Hey, I was just thinking about you. And then you call mm -hmm. that just that should take us to our knees in humility. It's so overwhelming. Yeah. And then much larger stories about, you know, what you just said are, are so cause such bewilderment and awe for me. It's like, Everybody stop, stop what you're doing and listen to this because it is so incredible. It's, yeah. what, what do you, what do you, what do you make of them? Can you, can you speak to your belief system or what it means or who it is or how it works or anything like that? Well, just, at, you know, on any given day, I'll have a different answer for you. One of the things I found that's, that works for me is that I try not to, Put any period behind any understanding of, of the infinite, you know, it, because I, again, I, um, I, my belief, I, I can go from become uh, being an atheist to an agnostic to, to a, a, a person of faith in about 36 hours. I mean, I, I go all over the place, Mike, because I look at everything and anything and everything that happens to me and to others, and and, um, and I shift and I keep moving. Um, and you know, I use this analogy that uh, is helpful for people that live in where we live, which is if you look at Pikes Peak from Woodland Park, that sucker is 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 uh, loud and proud. It's just right there in your face. It's huge from left to right. And it's beautiful, and you can see just about every aspect of Pikes Peak. If you drive around to the backside of it, it looks like a little rocky ridge. It's not very impressive, from um, you know, from Cripple Creek or Victor. It doesn't, you know, you just you don't really understand it. If you see it from Denver, it has a different look. When you look at it from Pueblo, it looks like a little tiny rock mound. So here's the thing. And I think this is what happens to us when we talk about God is, is that if I'm, if you're in Pueblo and I'm in Woodland Park and I'm, we're describing Pike's Peak to each other, we're not going to agree because you're going to go, no, 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 that's not it. It's not that big. It's just this little thing. And I'm going to go, no shit. This thing is like, huge. <laughs> it's the same fucking mountain. It's the same <laughs> mountain. But what do we do because of where we are 
on the path at that particular moment, we describe it, it, we experience it differently. So this is what happens, I think, in spiritual living is, is that we have to keep moving. And the perspective on everything should change. Uh, we're changing people. We're not static people. You know, I am, I am the uh, sum total of all my life's experience plus today's experience. So tomorrow when I woke up, when I wake up, I'll have an, it, I'll be altered a little bit by today's experience. Then tomorrow uh, I'll have experiences that will alter my, my perspective on the following day. So, uh, but what do we do is we, we tend to go out and read a couple paragraphs out of the Bible, close it and go, I got God figured out now. And then keep him in that box, that size for the rest of our lives. Uh, you know, I, it's very comfortable. I, God is this. So I'm going to just always believe that. And we're cheating ourselves. It's just self-robbery because um, if number one, if I can understand him, I haven't, I haven't looked enough <laughs> because how can the finite understand the infinite? It's impossible. Right. But I, I find that I just keep digging. So all this is to say that these experiences, one day I will think that they're spiritual in nature and that they come from a, a place uh, that they're God's handiwork. The next day, I may believe that they're, that they're projections of my mind or my psyche. And it's me that's projecting these things on myself because I need something. And, and the human psyche is very powerful. And I've studied it and I, I've come to the belief that it's, it can do an awful lot. And, and it, it, if we are in a really, really bad spot, that human psyche will, will move mountains sometimes just to adjust our perspective on life so we can take a deep breath and survive one more day. Um, I have great respect for it. Um, we've been given an incredible gift by it. Um, so, so what I would say is if I look at my experiences, some of them, I, I actually believe, were projections. They're sort of the self-protection, right? You and I, you and I have hit bottom, and we've been at places that were not particularly enjoyable. And we may have, we may have helped create those. A part of us created those. I, that's my thought, occasionally. <laughs> so, so anyway, I. I what I make of it on one day, it could be changed, it could be different, but that's okay. Um, I find that people who say it's this way and that's the truth, I run like hell from. <laughs> right. Because, because that's just not the way it is. You just, uh, there's definitely, um, you know, we've, we've been given an incredible thing in by giving by being given life and and uh, I I think we have a we have capacities that are so untapped and unused that um, um, but I will say this people who have hit bottom who have gone through trauma like you've discussed and that, that I've gone through um, are more likely to have these experiences yeah. just if you're having a good life, it's kind of like, eh, you know, and you're living the linear path of making yeah. more money every year and you're, you know, your stock and mark your stocks and bonds are going up. 
there's not much need for any of this. If you're, if you, if you got a couple million in the bank, you're cruising. I didn't get to God and I didn't get these experiences because of the great success I made in life, by the way, I got them because I really uh, screwed the pooch. I, I had, I hit bottom. Yeah. I know that, that trauma, that trauma part of it, as you say, I think I, I saw a quote somewhere uh, that said uh, something along the lines of the pain pushes until the, the wisdom or the vision pulls. Yes. Um, you get to a point where you can't take it anymore. And that's all right. of a sudden, you know, God and the universe open up to you. Yep. I know that I know that's what happened to me. No one could ever tell me that it's not. Um, and it sounds like, you know, you have had similar experiences. And when you talk to other people, you know, it seems like that that's the case. It gets so dark and you hang in there long enough. It finally uh, yep. help is on the way. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's the um, the opposite. I mean, think about what we were raised with was an idea. And I don't think any parent went out of their way to try to jam this into us. But but culturally, we were told, don't have a life that has setbacks. Don't get into money trouble. Don't get into marriage trouble. Don't get into career trouble. Don't get into any kind of trouble. Don't have bad health. Just live a good, clean life and, you know, and everything will be fine. And so the average, the average American is taught to try to find a way not to have difficulty. Yeah. And that's just ridiculous because difficulty is the gateway to all the best stuff. It is, it's where all, all the, it's the fun zone is on the other side of that. For me, it's been, if I hadn't gone down these dark, dark paths, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be sitting here with you. Yeah. So if I had just lived that kind of lottie dot life, you know, I wouldn't be here. So I, I would say blue, that blue, blue star recyclers wouldn't exist. Wouldn't exist. Yeah. So you, you've, 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 you've helped uh, lots of developmentally disabled people. You've created an amazing nonprofit that recycles electronics. That's also helps with, you know, environmentalism. Uh, there are multiple benefits. It would not exist if you hadn't had this spiritual life. Right. Well, it wouldn't exist if I hadn't failed in the last life. So that's, yeah, that's the key is that and I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't have had a shot at a blue star recyclers had I not failed it at drinking. Right. <laughs> failed that. <laughs> <laughs> I was a, I was a failure as a husband, as a worker, as a, as a provider. In every aspect of life, I've failed at least once, and that's my greatest, that's my greatest accomplishment because. Every one of those failures has given way to the best life I've ever had in, in all of those. Yeah. And that's completely backwards than the way I was raised. Yeah. I mean, no people just look at you like, what? Wait a minute. Um, you but, know, I, I was just reminded of something you told me years ago, and actually a couple of things. Um, years, years ago, two, three, four years ago, you and I were talking, and you say, you know, you're a, you're a nonprofit founder and executive and you move in circles with other executives, whether it's, you know, for-profit or nonprofit business. 
you'll say, uh, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll go on a, a golf outing with colleagues or something, or, you know, having dinner together and they'll be talking about their portfolios and 401ks and, you know, their investments and stuff. And I've heard, you know, you told me one time, you're like, I don't care about any of it. I don't care about, um, money. I don't care about status. I literally do not care. And when I tell them that they think I'm nuts. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, what I, what I, what I actually have said is, is anybody having any fun? Because that's really, and occasionally I'll, I'll, I'll salt it up a little bit more than that, but, but it's, it's actually what I'm interested in is who's having any fun. It, you can have all the stocks and bonds and portfolios and all the goodies in the world. If you're not enjoying life, what the hell good is it? It's, so that's the thing I, I tend to ask men my age who have defined success by consumption. And, uh, you know, it's okay if that's what they want and they got it. But I want to know, is it any fun? And I haven't found one in 65 years on this planet that has said yes. Yeah. Now, they will say being rich is better than being poor. And I think that's true. Uh, it's what, what's the old saying? The problems of the of the rich are a lot better to have than the problems of the poor, but, but, uh, but if you ask someone that, that looks like they have it all, if they're enjoying life, if they're honest, very rarely. And the reason is it's not enough. Yeah. If your goal is, if your goal is to get, then there's not enough. There's no way you can ever get enough. I've, I've worked with guys that told me they just want to get a million bucks in the bank. They get it. By the way, if you want it, you'll get it. And because uh, you'll, you'll, you'll focus all your energy on it. Then they get that million bucks in the bank and I'm sitting out down having coffee with them. I'll say, so how does that feel? And they got this look on their face. It's so funny. I'll say, did that bring joy? Well, for about 15 minutes. And then I found out my neighbor has 2 million. Yeah. <laughs> so now I got to go make 2 million. And then I find out my father-in-law has 6 million in the bank. So I got to go make six. And it is never enough. You cannot yeah. ever have enough money if that's the goal. And it's not that I don't value money. It's just that I know me well enough to know that if that it becomes my focus, I'm sunk. And the reason is I did it with booze and I found out there was never enough booze. You would think that there'd be enough booze in Colorado Springs tonight, but there wouldn't be if I was still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, and I, and, I, and I think, you know, we're, we're, um, and the goal of this show also is, uh, you know, one, the bewilderment and awe of the stories that you told and just to get us to stop and say, oh my God, you know, Bill, Bill had these experiences. Um, there were we're suffering pandemic state of the world. I'm running into more and more people that are truly hurting in their positions, their jobs, their lives. And I, I just feel like there's an opportunity for us here. Collectively, we're being pushed to the limit and it's an, it's a, it's an opportunity for us to collectively awaken. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, it is, it is. And these, these things that happen that are, that put us through the ringer uh, are definitely the, the trigger points uh, or the opportunities, I guess. I, I went through, don't get me wrong, I, you know, when I talk about waking up at 52, did I have to wait that long? I don't know. I mean, maybe so, but I can tell you that I ignored 
this stuff most of my life. So when I saw, I saw the things that were happening and I ignored it. I said, no, that can't be right. So I insisted upon continuing to live that the life of an earth person. And when, when the opportunity to experience life as I do today was there, it was there from the very beginning, but I insisted upon going another direction. Uh, do you have to wait till you're 52 to wake up? No, but, 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 it, but I will say this, it's not an intellectual exercise to wake up. You cannot think your way to better living. It just yes. doesn't work that way. No. So you, right. So you didn't wake up because you sat in your easy chair and went, I think I'll be a more spiritual person. <laughs> you had, you rolling your mustache. Yeah, that's yeah. right. You went through the ringer. I went through the ringer. That seems to be the, the path to the other side, which is you just get your skin peeled off. That's, <laughs> that's the way it felt to me was in 19, or I'm sorry, in 2008, for when I was out of work for nine months, I felt like my skin was peeled off. I, every uh, molecule in my body hurt, I, uh, everything. And I, I was the lowest I'd ever been. Mm. And, um, and, and that's what's happening to a lot of us right now, you know, a year into the pandemic and all the things yep. that are going on. A lot of us are suffering. What What do you, uh, so next question, and, and I don't want to interrupt you. You started almost saying oh, something no. there, but, but, but what advice do you have for others who are on this journey? And you're kind of weaving that in, you know, as you're talking about this, but you know, you're saying it, you can't, you can't just think your way to it. Um, it's not an intellectual thing. What advice would you have for people that are on a, on a spiritual path or maybe are, are, are interested in it or, you know, um, you've learned a lot over the years? Well, this may be semantics, but I, I, I do really believe that I have no advice to offer because, and that my advice is worth about what you're willing to pay for it. Since you haven't given me any money, <laughs> <laughs> I have to believe it's not worth much. But I do think my experience and your experience and everyone's experience is of value. If you've gone through something, if you've gone through a divorce, you can sit across the table from a person going through a divorce and look them in the eye and say, I know exactly how you feel. If you've gone through bankruptcy or the loss of a loved one or any of the things that happen in life that, that we would consider to be major setbacks, what we don't realize is, is that they are they all those things can be flipped because we we can become and all of our deficits can become assets so for me all the very worst things in my life today are assets so all the things that i would have told you as a young man would be my deficits today are my strengths so i can sit across the table and and uh, have coffee with somebody and I know just, I've done just about everything you can do to screw, yeah, screw up everything. <laughs> and I know, is I can sit there and go, oh man, I've done that. I know exactly how that feels. That sucks. And you know how great, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous was not born because some minister or some therapist came up with it. It was a butt doctor and a real estate uh, or a, um, a, a, a stockbroker that got together in Akron, Ohio in 1935, the, the stockbroker was trying to not get drunk because he knew he was gonna die if he drank. 
and he knew he needed to talk to another alcoholic and he found this this proctologist that was had, was about to lose his license to practice medicine and and he had been put together with him and the and the proctologist dr bob says I'm not here, I, you know, I'm not going to listen to anything you say. Everybody's been telling me not to drink. And Bill, Bill Wilson, who's the co-founder who was a stockbroker, uh, said to Bob, I'm not here for you. I'm here for me. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, in a nutshell, is the power of Alcoholics Anonymous, because we do not carry the message so the person we're talking to can be saved. Hell, I don't have any control over that. I don't, I don't have any idea what's going to happen to you. But what I know is if I share my experience, strength, and hope with you, I leave there, Mike, feeling better. I don't know why. I just got it. I'm on top of the world after I talk to somebody um, and share what I've been through. So that all ties back to uh, the experience, you know, that that I would share is that it, it would just be that that if anyone is is going through any of these things that that um, tear them apart. We call it the big hurt. If you're going through the big hurt and you have that big hole in you, you know, where the wind's blowing through and, and life is not working. Um, when people tell me that, I always, <laughs> I get in more trouble. I smile and they go, what's so damn funny? And I'll say, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. And they go, what are you talking about? I said, if you are being beaten up like this, you are about to be remade for something if you allow yourself to, if you are willing to go through it. And what's going to come out of the other side is going to be beautiful. But so I'm just like, I'm a little kid going, God, I can't wait to see, because I know that they're going to come out of it. But when you're in the middle of it, you want to hit somebody that says that. Right. <laughs> But I, I've hung around long enough to know that that if you're going through the ringer, that, that you're about to be remade for a purpose. And because you don't get put through the ringer unless you're going to be, be remade for a purpose. No, and I think that's that is maybe the the advice that you're kind of giving is um, if you're going through it, it's not there. There is a purpose in that. You know, Hang on. Yeah, hang on. I've got some quotes here that I've written, you know, in preparation for this, but, you know, in relationship to that, once you believe, signs are everywhere. Mm. You know, like, like, um, like, hang in there and hang on because this is happening for a purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, you know, I'm, I, and I have to say this in all honesty, I spent at least half of my life thinking about suicide every day until I, really was able to see what was happening i just felt like a misfit and so from the time that i was a little kid all the way and i tried suicide like three times failed at suicide by the way also so i have that at that area in there as well i congratulations yeah yeah i wasn't very committed i right at the last minute you know um but and actually, yeah, no, that actually creates great compassion and sympathy. I didn't know that about you and I appreciate you sharing that. Well, it's just, you know, suicide's what happens when you, when you run out of hope. I, I just couldn't, I could not do this thing anymore. I, I kept praying and saying, this is a mistake. Uh, whoever left me here, <laughs> you know, I, 
somebody described one time the feeling of that they were born on another planet and their parents dropped them off here and then left. <laughs> yeah. And well, I, you know, another quote that I've seen a few times uh, along those lines is if you, um, if you were, if you've lived, uh, if you were placed here and you feel like you don't belong, it's because you were put here to create a new world. And um, what, what you just said is, is just that, like you have created a new world, you are creating a new reality, just like that Rush song says. Um, I, I've struggled with that. I was, I was adopted. I was put up in an orphanage when I was born. And that's created in a completely different reality for me growing up yeah. um, and, and existing in my life. And, and with this spiritual awakening, it's like, wait a minute, I don't have to have guilt or shame or, or, you know, have my head down, like something's wrong with me. I was placed here. I chose to come here mm -hmm. to make the world a better place. Yeah. That is such an empowering feeling. Well, you know why? Because we don't, <laughs> I, I tried to explain this one other time. Here's the, the only difficulty of this is that there are no substitutes. You and I cannot cannot shut down and and just live that life where we're we're you know where we go to work every day and watch the clock and and we stay doing something that we hate just to get the benefits or or put money in the bank we can't do that because there we know that there's a purpose for why we're here so the one the one thing about this is what it demands is is that it, we have to fulfill that promise for ourselves, or we're going to just be miserable. And I have lived it. God. And I, I tell you what, every drink that I, every drink that I drank was because I was not living that promise. And, and I knew it. And the only way I could live without fulfilling it was to get in the bag by about four o'clock every afternoon or earlier if I could. And then I could live and I could breathe but but if if you're here to do something and you're not doing it, you will get the shit kicked out of you by the, by the, the cosmos because you're off the beam and that thing, whatever that person or thing is, it wants us there. Yeah. And and I and I think that that makes sense to me as far as why I was kept alive because I believe now there was no way I was getting out of this. No way. That work had to be done, and I and I and that and I have to believe that I was chosen to do that work before I was born, or maybe I chose it. I it's another thing I go back and forth on. Maybe I chose it. Yeah. But, no. 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 But, go ahead. But either way, this is this is really really important for those of us that are struggling out there, that are that know that we're not we're not on the right path. Is is that if you're feeling that way. You have to stop and find it because, because uh, we will get massacred if we try to live a life that's out of sync with that. I think that's yeah, my right. experience, and um, and 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 this is really, I think, critical to look at because, for example, we have legalized marijuana, and I have a, no problem. I like all drugs, right? When I when I I was no respecter of drugs when I used them, but it's not being legal or illegal it's like why do we have to alter our consciousness think about this mike 
why do I have to, why do I have to smoke weed or take edibles? Why do I have to take painkillers? Why do I have to take all these medicines and booze? And why do I have to overexercise? And why do I have to work 20 hours a day? Or why do I have to do all the things that medicate my consciousness? Why? Because if I am not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I have got to do that. And if you want to find every person who's medicating out there, that is their story. Yeah. That was, and, and it's the only thing that explains that. What? I can get any drug I want right now. I'm in Illinois right now, and they have legalized marijuana. Why don't I do that? The reason is I don't want to miss a second of life. I don't want to be, I don't want to have my consciousness altered for one second because I don't want to miss any of this. That's incredible. That's an incredible statement. Yeah. And, and it's like we're it's like we're we're living out of alignment with our souls, right? We have totally. our physical our physical selves, our society, the societal pressures. And we're totally. our soul, our souls, our souls need something. Our souls are out of alignment. And so we're self-medicating and we're unhappy Absolutely. and we're we're depression. I saw uh, you know, someone referred to depression as our our avatar, you know. Um finally saying it's giving us notice saying you're living out of alignment with yeah. who you really are yeah it's it, it is the greatest symptom of being out of alignment is the need to medicate and uh you know i i think i shared this with you but it's probably this might be of some help to those that have been through this but when i was two years sober and i was feeling like i was hot shit because i was sober for two years and at two years, recovering alcoholics are just nauseating. We think we have all the answers <laughs> in the world. It's just about like every other religious practice, you know, we just, you know, we're ready to we're ready to get tents and tambourines and save souls. And that was my, you know, I thought I got this figured out. Well, what happens is my father passed away and I had no ability to handle feelings. There was another problem, my little problem I had was I and I medicated every every time I got a feeling, I made sure I poured something in on top of it. And when he died, I did not know what to do with myself. So I I I was I went to to engage the current addiction that I thought was healthy, which was I was playing tennis around the clock almost at this club. Because after I got sober, I got this health kick going. Well, I go down to the club and it's the the guy I'm supposed to play is not there. And and so there's no tennis. So my mind immediately says, we got to go get, we got to do something to get out of this feeling. I drive down West 11th in Eugene, Oregon, pull into a, a bar, a parking lot of a bar, and I just vibrated for about a half an hour. And I thought, I got to go in here and get drunk. I'd open the car door, close it, open it, close it, open it, close it. And I remember my AA sponsor said, think through the drink. And I did it. And it, he screwed up any chance I had at getting drunk because I thought about what was going to happen. I'd go in there, get drunk. I'd have a hangover. I have to start over in AA. And he screwed it up because I couldn't. <laughs> I don't want to do that. And then I, so what do I do is I, I go find a payphone. This is pre-cellular days, right? So I go, I go to a payphone and I, I get the number of a woman at work that told me once that she thought I was pretty hot stuff. And that if I wasn't married, that she, she'd be willing to, to mess around. So I call her and I get her on the phone and, and I said, Karen, it's me. And she goes, who is this? I said, it's Bill. 
And she says, Bill, who? And I said, well, we used to work together. And I related the story. She goes, are you still married? I says, yeah. She said, well, what the hell are you calling me for? <laughs> so I said, I said, well, I want to get together. She says, I'm not getting together with you. So I hang up the phone. There's addiction number two or three right there. I had to write that one off. I look across the street. There's a shop co. And I, I go across the street. Now, at that time, I had just gone to work for a treatment center as a drug and alcohol counselor because I was sober two years, which is why I told you I was nauseating. I thought I was going to save the world. And but I was making no money. I think I had twelve dollars in my in my checking account. I go over to Shopco and I start loading my cart up with every possible thing you could think of, big ticket stuff. I got a bicycle and golf clubs I'm towing behind me, and <laughs> and I get up to the counter and the checker looks at me funny, like like it's supermarket sweep, you know, like what are you doing? <laughs> and she's ringing it up and ringing it up, and I'm just I'm sort of in oblivion. She said that'll be eight hundred and ninety-seven dollars or something like that. And I said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I don't I do not have the money to pay for this. And she looked at me like, you got to be kidding. And I sort of, you know, slurped away. And on the way out of the store, there was a display of Brock's candy. So retail therapy, by the way, is addiction number four or five for me, buying shit that I don't need. And then on the way out, there's a candy display. Sugar is addiction number six. I grabbed, I grabbed two bags of Brock's candy and I had enough money to pay for those. I went out to the car, ate both of those bags of candy, and I woke up in my driveway in a total blackout. Now, I have not had one drink of alcohol, wow. but I, re I created the experience of medicating the soul yeah. with some really cheap candy. And this is, this is the reason I bring this up. It's so important. It doesn't matter what we're reaching for. If we're reaching for something that alters that. And I was just, I was trying to, anything I could do not to stop and suffer the, the grief of a loss of a loved one. I was, my, I was doing everything I could think of not to experience that. And it caught me and it, and so, so I used to, after that, I used to introduce myself in AA meetings as an addict of all things, <laughs> right. even candy, anything, right. anything that tastes good, feel good, anything. And, uh, and I, and I know when I'm doing it today, if I go down to Costco and buy shit, I don't need, I know that I'm medicating It's retail therapy. Yeah. I've had a day where I want something I want to feel good, so I buy something I don't need. Gee, I yeah. wonder who does that, right? Right. Oh man, this is this is incredible. I mean, I appreciate you sharing all all of these things. Um, you know, last kind of formal question for the show here, um, and it it's um, we, we're always asked what happens when what happens when we die, right? Like we it's like what do you think what happens when we die? And depending on our belief system, we say, well, we we go to heaven or we're reincarnated, or maybe nothing happens, but we all have beliefs. And I think I think the consensus that we might have is, is in our earthly form is that there's certainly something else beside, you know, beyond us. Mm -hmm. and, um, and we'll go to heaven or our souls will go on, our energy goes on, whatever that looks like. Um, 
what bothers me about that is we spend our time here on earth thinking if I'm good, you know, and I do the right thing, then, then I'll, then I'll die and my soul will go to heaven or, or whatever it is. I want that bewilderment and awe of saying there is no disconnect between like, like you said, we are all God. There is no disconnect between life and death. This is our earthly form. Mm -hmm. So a better question is what is happening while we are living? While we're moving, while we're moving, and not that's what what happens when we die, but what is going on while we're living? Yeah, wouldn't that be great if we spent more time talking about that? Uh, yeah, I, this whole business of of the afterlife is just it's all it borders on comical when you get into religion because you know religions think they know or they invent they pulled something out of their butt and and this whole idea of of what happens in the afterlife is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It, it, it's one of the reasons that it was one of the big reasons I quit organized religion because it's an unsatisfactory answer. Uh, I The only couple things that have made sense to me are, um, and it's, again, it's a spectrum that I'll, I'll sort of gravitate from one end to the other, but, but that, I do, I do believe this, that this thing, and it's 65 years old now, and it's showing that this crude matter that I'm living in is not me. It's, it's, it's where Bill lives. This is where I live. And, and, and this sucker is in about however many years it's going to be, is going to, I'm going to be done. It's going to be done. And, uh, and that it, it has a shelf life that will run out. That's the one thing we know for sure. It's the only, it's the only thing we know for sure if we're going to die. And um, so it runs out. And so the question is, what happens to Bill when his house falls apart and, and, and it's no good anymore? The heart stops. And, and the question is that, or the answer that I've heard that I, that I like is that, that, there is no end. There is no end to anything. Everything keeps going. And that uh, I don't know what that is, but I, I can walk down the road with that one. I like that, which is that there, um, that it's, it's not the hard stop. It could be. And, and, and on my days where I'm an atheist, I just go, yep, that's it. <laughs> it's all done. It's all done. And we're, and that's it. But, but on most days, I have a, a sense that we keep going. And we're not supposed to know here what that form is. It's not, it's, if we knew it would screw us up. So we just, we're not supposed to know. And it's okay not to know. I think what we've done is we've created all this nonsense about it that to make ourselves feel better, Mike, you know, like, oh yeah, we're gonna be, we're gonna ascend to heaven with wings and we're gonna play harps. Well, I could do that for about five minutes and then I'd be going like, oh yeah, this is fun. Yeah. I guess I'll be doing this for the, the rest of time. Yeah. So that that's just absolute baloney. And and if you think about it for five minutes, you know it's baloney. It's but we we've sort of created it because we want a story, like we want. And, and to your point, what really is sad is, is that I have a family, a member, an extended family member that is waiting for the rapture and waiting for death. 
And meanwhile, her time on earth has been completely unsatisfactory. Yeah. Right. And I don't think this is a dress rehearsal, pal. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is, I think this is Disneyland. We're supposed to, to enjoy the hell out of it and, and ride all the rides, experience all the experiences, good, bad, indifferent. And for, for whatever time we're supposed to be here, but to, to, to come up with this idea that life is a veil of tears, that it is to be endured just so we can get to the afterlife, that is some serious bullshit that yeah. has been peddled to us. And, uh, and I, it's empty. It's an empty thing. But um, so anyway, the long way of answering that is I, I don't know. And I don't really, I don't spend five seconds thinking about it. It's just going to be, um, I hope you and I meet up on the other side and, and I will be able to get a tall Jack Daniels on the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, that's the, yeah, right. It's like all of a sudden I can just have the Jack Daniels again. It's okay. Yeah. But, but to, to, I've been writing, you know, your words as we've been going along, you just said your body is not you. So that means your soul is here functioning. Your body is the housing for it. Mm -hmm. um, there is no end. If we meet on the other side, um, you've said, uh, how can the finite understand the infinite? Yeah. You just said, you know, uh, we're not meant to know during this lifetime. Right. Um, meet on the other side. Maybe we've known each other infinitely. Maybe, I mean, th this is the bewilderment and awe, like, yeah. like space and time, who knows? Yes. We, we don't Shit. know. We're, we're not going to know maybe in our lifetime, but if we can, as humans, move towards more spirituality to say there is something so much more grand. That's here. right. It, it is so large. It is so big. It is beyond what I can comprehend. Yes. Um, and it's okay. It's okay that we don't. But let's not make up. Let's not make up fairy tales about it. Because, I mean, I guess maybe if we need to, we'll do whatever we need to. But, but I, you know, it's entirely possible that this is the other side, my friend. It's entirely possible that that I know one thing. I know one thing about me. I can create heaven and hell sitting in the same chair. I have sat in a chair and been in hell for many years, and I've sat in that same chair and been in heaven. And there's no difference. That chair is the same chair. So what I've come to believe is heaven and hell is the six inches between my ears. And I have been in both places and, uh, and I have absolutely no fear of hell because I've been there and I, and, and I, and I am the reason I was there. I took myself there through my own thinking. And when I, and, and I've taken myself to heaven when I've been there and, and, uh, so I think that the experience of heaven and hell is not a is not a place in, at, externally, like we've been told. I think it's internal, and it's more important in our lifetimes to say when have I, when have I been in hell, place myself there here, and when have I been in heaven? The other thing is I heard I heard something that really made my hair curl was, and I, it's very possible. And it's just a it's just a thought, which is life is, is as real as it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And 
if just digest that one for a minute, which is what you and I are experiencing right now is, is as real as it's supposed to be. And this whole thing could be a projection. It could just be, it could be an, it could be a projection of somebody else. I don't know. So I, I just try to remain open-minded and really ignorant about it. Like I'll, you know, just, um, and when we get there, you know, uh, and because we don't have any choice, we are going to get to that place uh, at the end. Um, it, it, there's a beauty in that in a way to me of not knowing um, that on the, that something is going to happen or not, but but we have no idea. No, the, uh, the, the, the spiritual teacher Eckhart Tolle has a famous quote that says, be comfortable with not knowing. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I've, I've actually had that pinned in my office uh, the last couple of years because it's, it's that um, we all want to plan and, and figure things out and yes. get to the next thing. And it's like, just let go and be comfortable with the universe unraveling, God in the universe unraveling itself. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and I have no, all, and I, and I have no reason to suspect that it's going to be bad because, uh, or or be disappointing, I should say, not good or bad, because I haven't been disappointed since I woke up on this earth. This has been the best life, the easiest life, and the most fun life I've ever lived. And all I had to do, I, I, I couldn't think my way to that. I had to flop into it more or less, but. So if if it's this good here, it, I, if, even if this is the end, I'm going to give him two thumbs up and say, well done, because this was worth every second I've been here. Um, if there's if there is an if there's a, a mulligan to this or we get we get another uh, uh, some added time <laughs> to do something. I have to believe if we do, it's going to be really good because this is pretty good. Yeah. Well, I'm you, you're a spiritual warrior, Bill. This has been incredible. I'm looking at the clock here. The shows are supposed to be 30 minutes, 35 minutes. I think we're at about an hour and a half. I don't care. It doesn't matter. We want five years from now, I want this show. I want to have, have told hundreds and hundreds of stories like you've told today and build a catalog of of people expressing these experiences to say um, anybody that doesn't believe or people that need affirmation for things that have happened to them, you know, a group of us expressing them and we're putting energy into the universe. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, you've, the show is brand new and you've just helped us set, set the stage for it. This is, this has been incredible. Oh, thanks. And it's fun to be part of. And, uh, I, I'm really hopeful that, um, you know, I shared with you last week that, you know, your your purpose may be to, as I described that I, the way it looks to me is to be a person standing at the crossroads and, and you know, you travel, the pilgrims are coming in both directions and both ways on the roads and, and, um, and we're busy, you know, we're going, we're doing our thing and, I, and it, you can stand by the, the crossroads there and and sort of chat with people and say, hey, hey, what's this journey been like? And where have you been? And what have you seen? And and uh, those are the stories that that need to be told. God knows that 
everything that's on TV right now is certainly not worth watching. So, right. <laughs> so I'm hoping that that um, people will find it, and, and um, I have to believe that's that's the purpose for this. But um, but I do know this too: is there's nothing new. I mean, these this stuff. You and I are talking about something. Two guys in ancient Greece were talking about sitting on a rock looking over exactly. the ocean, right? Yeah. They were contemplating exactly the same thing. And uh, I, I and it's and I don't think anybody has figured any of it out, but um, but of all the things there there is to share and and learn about, this is we tend to put spiritual our spiritual health pretty low right yeah we put religion up there but we don't really take very good care of ourselves spiritually uh, until we've been whacked over the head so well so maybe with yeah. all the so yeah with all the suffering going on in the world you know um you know the 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 thought of you know we have a tendency to think like you just said spirituality where we're uh you know, I'll get to spirituality after I get the all the other stuff done. After I get the laundry done and get the groceries and get work done and make a bunch of money. That's um, right. Yeah, but um, but but to, but to, that's but exactly to, right. To what what I've learned over the last couple of years is that letting go and 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 allowing allowing everything to unfold. It's that, and, and I've heard this from friends and people. There are a lot of people suffering right now with the state of the world that they feel like they're cursed. You know things are happening they're they're feeling unwell and mm -hmm. i felt that way in the past and i actually believe i'm learning learning to understand that the universe um it's it's rigged in our favor and what if we what if we moved in the world in that way to say when the bad things are happening they're supposed to be happening and when yeah. the good things are happening they're supposed yeah. to be happening and if we can allow that to move through us and i'm saying that in relationship to you as we wrap up here you're proof of that because you battled and battled and battled and fought, you know, first 50 years of your life and you finally let go and then realize and all of the things started working in your favor when you submitted to the situation. And, and with all the suffering that's happening on the planet right now, it's like, oh my gosh, if we can just make that shift to say it's all happening for a reason, there's a much higher power, greater thing happening here yeah it's, it's working in our favor it's not conspiring against us it's conspiring for us and the, no. and the painful things are happening on purpose yeah i i agree i think we are at a crossroads and i'm i'm not thrilled with what i see honestly when i watch the news but i will say this i have hope because everything is broken so all the systems that that we've created uh government's broken uh politics obviously are broken um and um, healthcare, education, you know, I mean, the prison system, justice system, almost every institutional system is broken. We, it was invented by man at some point, it quit working. And instead of, instead of throwing it out when it quit working, we, we defended it and, and, but the good news is if, so individually I had to hit bottom to get to the good stuff, but, the, the same applies for countries and, and, and the world. If we, if we hit bottom, um, 
we have an opportunity to reinvent ourselves and into something better. Um, and there's always the chance when you hit bottom that you don't make it. So that's, but that's what's coming. I think I, I, I tell people that, that what I see coming is that, that jumping off place where we abandon what we're doing because it doesn't work, not out of any disloyalty. It's just, it doesn't work anymore. Let's just do something different. Um, if we, if we, reinvent ourselves, I think we have a chance. If we if we don't reinvent ourselves, and this is just like me, if I didn't reinvent myself and 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 surrender and resign and say I <laughs> I need some help, then I'd be dead. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you because I would have just kept going down that road and you would have found me in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> right. And I would have been gone. So, and I would not have been here to do the things that I've been so lucky to be able to do. So my, my hope is, is that, that we, we, we have to hit bottom because you can't get to the other side unless you do it. We're not going to get to the, to the solution intellectually. So my feeling is, Mike, and I, I mean, I, I, this sounds like a terrible thing to say. I think we probably are due for a pretty hard fall in terms of in terms of um, the systems breaking down uh, but that fall is necessary to create the next thing and if we get if we get through it i think we have a chance <laughs> if we can survive if we get if we get through it but we're living in a very historical time because we you and i may see the end of of what we were raised with needs to be tossed. It's it's horrible. We need to get rid of the old ideas of ourselves, and and um, and get to something better. And and uh, we we may see that before we exit this thing. And um, so we it, it's historical, right? Yeah. And in in that sense, I, I actually have hope. And the reason I have hope is in you you know this, you and I have the good fortune to work in space where we see the solutions going on. The news is not covering what ERC and Blue Star is doing a lot, right? Right. They're telling negative news, but there's a lot of really good stuff going on. And under the surface, there's this quiet power that's kind of going on. And, and something tells me that, 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 um, that may be our hope is just that there's a lot more good stuff going on than anyone has any idea. And I'm hoping that that's the, the thing that comes to the surfaces, but we'll see. Yeah. And if we can move through it fearless, fearlessly knowing that it's happening for a reason, whether yes. it's our individual lives or collectively yes. as a society, yes. it's, it's all happening for a reason. It's all planned. Um, letting yep. go of our control of that there is unlimited potential in beauty. Yeah. It's, it's really giving birth. It's, it's painful. It's there's, and I think that that feeling of having your skin pulled off is as true for an individual as it is for a country. And we're, I don't know about you, but I think we've had our skin pulled off pretty good in this last few years. Right. <laughs> it's been painful to watch. Right. So anyway, it, it, uh, we got a front row seat to something that's, I think going to be uh, pretty remarkable either way. So. 
why don't we why don't we call that? We're pushing a couple of hours here, and um, uh, I could talk to you for two more hours, and we'll probably have lunch <laughs> next next time you're in town. We'll have lunch and talk for four hours. Yeah. I'll get I'll get fired, but whatever. Uh, the, uh, but but this has been incredible. Thank you so much. Thanks for being a spiritual warrior. Thanks for doing what you do in your physical form. Thanks for for being open to new ideas and and. And, and you're, like you said, you're not on the national news every night, but you are one of the people that is changing the world. And um, appreciate you as a friend and as a, as a fellow earthling moving around and, and trying to figure these things out. Well, thanks, Mike. If an old drunk like me has a shot at a life like this, there's hope. There really <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah, and that, it just goes to show you that, you know, that it's, uh, it's there. And, and I and I'm gonna uh, watch what you know. Keep an eye on what you're doing, and and I'm, you know, in terms of the the show, and um, and I hope that uh, it's as fulfilling for you as you hope it will be. Appreciate it, Bill. I uh, I will see you soon when you get back to town. You got it, my friend. Thank Have you. a good one. Thank you. Well, as you can see. Bill Morris is an incredible human walking this earth. He's a radiating light beaming from earth out into the universe. And he would agree with this statement in that so are you. You are a bright light. We collectively are bright lights, seven billion of us sharing the same energy. This story, Bill's stories, show us that there is something so much bigger at play. He walks us through his life, weaves in and out of all kinds of concepts and ideas. But the, but the common core theme that he always comes back to is, as he'll say, this is not me doing this work meaning it's a higher force. He's just the physical form making it happen. Thank you so much to Bill for being vulnerable, courageous, open. These stories are raw. And, you know, the, the beauty of technology is anyone on earth can hear this. He knows that and he's willing to share it. If anyone's molding a new reality closer to the heart, it's Bill. And I would say it's more closer to the soul. If our heart is our beating physical body, our soul is something that's so much greater than us. Thank you so much for listening today. Check out our website. It's hardsunpodcast.com. If you have a story or thoughts for us, please go to the contact page and reach out. Really appreciate your time, your listening. As we move forward, I'm getting more and more stories from friends and friends are connecting me to friends of theirs. It's really exciting. Hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you.